Well, hello, Chris Shannon. Hello, hello, Mr. Pointer. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? That's wonderful. Thank you. So uh, I talked to you, was it Thursday? I think I texted uh, Thursday or Friday, I'm not sure which, and, and asked mm -hmm. if you'd be willing to come on and talk with me. Um, you know, what I've been doing on here is sharing people's stories, and I think that the story that you have uh, for us that I don't have and it's, it is that you are, you are a black man living in America, and I'm not that. And I thought with everything going on around us right now, it would be a, a maybe, I thought a good, but an important time to have a conversation together. So uh, thank Absolutely. you for joining. Thank you for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. So we work together and uh, we are both active in the, our diversity networks at work. Um, and that's kind of how we know each other and, and the relationship we develop. So we're professional friends, I guess would be a good way to put it, right? Is that, is that fair? Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's just jump in, I guess. So we've, we've all watched, um, well, it's hard to talk. I haven't talked about this, so not like this anyway. We've all watched the events, uh, you know, the murder of George Floyd. We watched it basically live. And I think that's the first, you know, we, we've seen recordings, we've seen, uh, I guess aftermaths of of these events before, so you know, no, we've never seen a hundred percent someone murdered right there on on camera. I guess, and boy, I I I wasn't anticipating that feeling this way of talking about. It. So I let first, I guess, turn to you. You you are um, how do you? I, you go ahead and talk. I don't even know what to ask, to be honest. Well, um, I'll start off with the actual event and my feelings when I watched the video of the um, authorities and uh, George Floyd. Uh, I, I tell you, watching his life slip away right in front of my eyes. I mean, we literally watched his life leave his body and that just did something to my soul. I mean, my heart, my soul, my mind. And um, I'm not afraid to say I, I actually like cried because it's like, oh my God, I can't believe this type of thing is happening again. And um, I, to be quite honest, I didn't expect anything to happen. Um, and I know our conversation originally, you and I, um, came before all the other aftermath, uh, including the firing of those police officers and the arrest of uh, Chavin, uh, I can't remember, remember his first name, um, but, uh, and as well as the protests and the riots and everything. But uh, again, my, my heart was just, I felt like it was just, like it was somebody in my family, like it was my brother, my dad, or my cousin or God forbid my son. So seeing that just really jolted me. We've had incidents, you know, like um, we just talked about Ahmaud Arbery um, and a few other cases of things that have happened to African-Americans unarmed. And so this was like the proverbial uh, straw that broke the camel's back. And uh, I believe that um, a lot of people were frustrated and tired 
of the continued injustice that we see. So when you said you didn't expect anything to happen, do you mean as far as justice wise or do you mean everything that's happening or what do you mean by that? Yes. And I can't speak for everyone, but in my experience, it's, it seems as if when these things happen, then uh, it seems as if, you know, there's justification or there's just something that says, no, you know what, uh, he did what he was supposed to do. And, you know, the guy was just, he didn't comply or he didn't do this or there's whatever the reasoning that's given the majority of the time the perpetrator is allowed to go on about their life, you know, and um, without repercussions. So um, we'll get into all the, we're definitely going to get into all the, the protests and the, and the violence and everything. Um, what, but you, you're a black man and I'm not, you have experience that I don't in America and, and, uh, let me tell you, part of part of my experiences of that, and they're not direct. Um, and then I, I, I'm going to leave it to you to tell us some stories. But my my mother, her partner of almost 20 years is is a black man, and so and it's funny because she's a tiny little lady. She's like, she was four ten. Now she's four eight, and <laughs> he's like six foot three. You know, two hundred pounds. He's just a big guy, and they met swing dancing. So he, uh, I remember my sister's wedding, he was, he would just, he's just flipping her all over the place because she's just nothing. And, you know, it was, it was really entertaining watching them dance and gives you a lot, gave us a lot of joy. Um, and I, a couple of stories that she told when, when she got together with him, the first was, she tells, I guess, uh, there were, so when you, in the swing dancing or I guess line dancing or whatever community where you're dancing, um, you don't always dance with the same person. Even if you're there with somebody, you end up dancing with multiple people because everybody's just having fun and somebody might take a break. And so you, Willie, that's her, that's his name takes a break. And then you dance with Chris because you know, you don't, you don't need a break. Right. Well, apparently a lot of the men, the white men that were there wouldn't dance with her anymore. Um, because she was now, yeah, right. Because she was now partners with Willie. Um, and because they were real life partners, not just dance partners. Um, and that's, so that's an overt racist racism that we, I don't see, you don't see in your everyday life. I don't see them every, so we, you know, I, I don't know. Anyway, I don't even know. It's hard to even know what I'm trying to say, Chris. I mean, honestly, I, I think I know what you're saying. And, um, you, you, you see the reality that a lot of us live every day. Um, your story resonates with me because I've also been, you know, in some type of situation that either was uncomfortable or felt unfair. Uh, give you one of the stories and my cousins and I were just talking about, I have a really, really tight family. In fact, my cousins, we, we are like brothers and sisters, all of us. In fact, some of our kids call us uncle and aunt instead of cousin because we're so tight, right? But anyway, when we were younger, we were together all the time. And I was like one of the first ones in our family to get a car that was like of our age at 16. And we would go roller skating in different places. And I can't tell you how many times we got pulled over by the police officers for, and, and, let me preface this with, we don't believe that all police officers are bad. We're just saying that 
the events and situations and scenarios that have happened in our life has painted a, a, a bad picture. Just like some people have a, a bias or, or uh, you know, some type of bias against black people. Um, well, quite naturally, we also have some type of bias against police. So anyway, story goes on. We're one of the instances we're in the car and you know, how many times have you been in the car with your friends and you have the radio cranked up and you're, ah, you know, you're moving around and you're on your way somewhere and we get pulled over. And the reason why they pulled us over was because we were moving too much. <laughs> now, let me tell you this. We, we were at a light and I saw the police officers at the other, you know, uh, perpendicular to us at the other light and we drove by and they followed us for a while and then pulled us over. And I have, I can tell you at least 10 more stories like that where I got pulled over and they searched the car, whatever, in that particular instance. But I can give you at least 10 more instances where, you know, uh, I think you put it, uh, <laughs> I like the way you put it, but driving while black. <laughs> DWB, man. I, I... DWB, right. Uh, I got a ticket for um, not having a license plate light. Which, okay, it, it was wrong. My, my light on my license plate went out, I guess, and I didn't realize it, but I got a ticket for that. Uh, I, got, I was followed in one uh, municipality in St. Louis for about, I don't know, a good 20 minutes. And then um, I just finally said, I'm going to pull over to the right. And I, I didn't put on my blinker, and I just pulled over to the right lane to, you know, let him go by. or see. And as soon as I did that, he flicked on his lights and, you know, and gave me a ticket for improper lane change. <laughs> so, it's like, dude. so, and the reason why I'm sharing this is not to attack police officers because I know they have a really dangerous job. And um, I, I have my, my sister's a, a correctional facility right. uh, person. I, I have cousins that are police officers. So it's, I, I'm not attacking it, but there is this underlining bias that we as black people feel, you know, that happens in America. And we would like to see a day where that's no longer the case. And I think, like I said earlier, that watching George Floyd, who was being arrested for whether it was a, a forged check or a counterfeit $20 bill, but whatever the case is, he, it was a nonviolent crime, but yet He's pinned down to the ground with a knee in his neck, uh, constantly begging to, you know, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And we've seen this before and um, not caring. And even with the bystanders standing around saying, hey, look, he's, he's not even responding anymore. And he's, he's begging for his mom. And this just broke our heart. And because we have experiences, like I just explained to you, that I've had in my lifetime, it, it really just just hits home and it just it just hurts and it just makes you you know frustrated and want to see an end to this type of injustice yeah my mom um had not experienced dwb until she was with willie and um yeah they got pulled over when he was driving and in the early morning she said in nebraska and they, she couldn't figure out why like it wasn't didn't seem you know the same thing as you uh license plate light out or you know what what i don't even know what what it was but he was convinced it's because he was driving and he had a hoodie on because he had his hoodie up because it was cold um so yeah i can't relate to that i i mean i've been pulled over but every time i've been pulled over it's pretty clearly you know or 
anyway, I can't relate. I, I, I wish I could tell you that I could. I can certainly try to empathize. I don't know. But, you know, so what, what is, you mentioned biases. We all have biases, right? Exactly. Biases are built into us as humans because they keep us alive, right? You, you, it, it, at some point in human history, we were, we were in tribes, right? You're, you're in this Christian tribe, you're the Dirk Pointer tribe, and, and whatever was going on, you protected your tribe. Because if you didn't, you know, maybe the, the tribes were at war or whatever. And, and um, you know, so that's built into our DNA, um, and it's easier than ever to find your tribe right now if, if you're, you know, online. You know, we work, you and I work together, not, not directly together. We work for the same company in the same location, basically. Um, sorry, I said, we're both in O'Fallon. You work at a different, different physical location. But we, it, there are instances that would require me to contact you for something at work and, and vice versa, where we, we could we would have interaction. We do interact through our diversity networks. Um, I, you know, you, you don't feel it at work. I, I don't feel it at work. Do you, do you, do you feel anything like that? Or, or had you ever, I should say is a better way. Cause you know, for your comfort level, cause I know that, you know, there, I, yeah, go ahead. There have been instances where, you know, that you're like, mm, but you know, you, you, you bite your tongue and you just keep working hard. But the majority of the folks that I work with, I have to say, I believe that, they would jump in front of a bullet for me just as well as I would jump in front of a bullet for them. Uh, and these are people from different walks of life, different religious backgrounds, different ethnicities, um, coming from different countries. Yeah, so, so. I say different countries, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that, I'm, I'm very happy with my company because when things like this happen, um, the company that we work for is one of the first companies that you see that'll put out like a, a statement to say, hey, this is not what we are. In fact, we stand by this group of people and we want to see change. And that's why I've worked there for over 20 years. Um, not only that, but because of the diversity networks that you mentioned is uh, it, it gives us an opportunity to learn more about each other uh, before we, you know, call the cops on a guy just because of what he looks like, you know? <laughs> Um, but, um, uh, like you were talking about the biases, I believe like our conversation we're having right now, my, my hope and my purpose of agreeing to the conversation is that it will help someone else that maybe have never, you know, had any interactions with a black person or don't know black people that well, or whatever the case is, maybe it will chisel some of that bias off and open their minds and hearts up to be a little bit more tolerant of different people and different backgrounds and you know to stand for what's right and maybe at some point we will see the day where those biases aren't just based on face value yeah that's yeah that's a good way to put it um and i'll say we work for Citigroup. This is not a city-sponsored conversation. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get it out there. And I, I agree with you. City is, <laughs> I got you. Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't want our, this is not, our company's not encouraged. This is just something we want to do together. Um, but I agree. City is very much on the forefront of saying, you know, we support this. We don't support this. It's a, it's a very, pro, I'm, I'll, we'll say 
a, a capitalistic progressive organization. How about that? Is that? Yeah. Well, but I like that. <laughs> but city is based across, uh, I don't even know how many countries we, we have. Uh, Over significant, 180 countries. Is that what it is? Um, yeah. Significant um, presence in Europe, Asia, North America, uh, South America, Central America, which is which is not a continent, but anyway. So yeah, I, I appreciate that too. We won't, we won't spend, but I just wanted to, we, we could stop saying your company. I was saying the same thing. <laughs> We're saying good things. Um, so, so let me tell you, I, I had a conversation with a, a, another woman that we work with and, and you know her, but it's not important, but somebody that I respect when the, um, when the Stokely verdict came out, I think that was two, two or three years ago. I'm not sure. Um, and, and just for, Education for those who aren't in St. Louis, Stokely was another case where a young man was shot by the police and, and killed, right? And I believe they were, it was, it was a chase. Um, I don't remember a lot of the details. I feel like it was on the roof of a building or something. But, I, but there, were, there were protests in St. Louis after that verdict as well. Um, and this was a few years after Ferguson, which was in St. Louis, uh, which was kind of the this the wrong word but the kickoff event for a lot of for a lot of uh you know it goes back forever but the recent the recent protests um and i talked with her after the stokely and she had been out on the weekends protesting walking through i think the the uh, the delmar the delmar loop area that's an area in st louis just a mainly a one street that kind of loops around no that's that's not right but it's one street um and she told me, and, and let me, I don't, I don't know if you've done this or not, but that she, the protest was organized through her church. Her pastor had called the police and let them know ahead of time, we will be walking on Del Mar at this time of day um, for a protest. And there were police officers on the street. And she asked one of the police officers, why are you here? White police officer. And he said, I'm here to protect the protesters. And she was very happy with that response. And they did, they did it in the, the light of day. They, they walked for, I, I don't know, hour or two. I really don't know how long. They went home. And that night, people came into that same path and broke every window on the street and, and trashed the street. So, so from your perspective, so, and that's kind of what I see now is there are people that are protesting peacefully and then there, there are elements. And, and from what I can see, these elements come from every side of political race um, country. I've heard there are Russian operatives trying to start. So, so, I, mean, I haven't done any research on it, but I've heard everything. I, I've, and there are videos of, of, white people trying to start fires at a, at a place. There are videos of black people looting a target. There are videos of, of protesters, black protesters in Brooklyn blocking people from looting a target. So, you know, where do we go with that? What <laughs> I, I've seen Facebook posts from black friends of mine who are saying, well, you, you can't get change without violence. And I, I, I don't know where to go with that. What, what are your, and I, I I'm not condoning that statement, but I can understand why they would feel that way. Um, because when you look and you see, um, you know, the, the athletes were taking a, a knee 
you know, and we were told, oh, you know, everyone were up in arms about protesting in that manner. And it was a peaceful protest. They were using their platform to reach as many people as possible. Um, you know, it wasn't a di uh, to disrespect the flag or the anthem or our country. We all live here. We're all Americans. But it was to, uh, and that's what a protest is, right? Is to get the focus uh, or the attention of people to see that there's a problem that we want to fix. That, that At least that's my definition of it. And that didn't work, you know, everyone was so focused on, you know, them taking the knee during the anthem that they missed the message. The message was, hey, you know, we see that there's a problem with unarmed black men being killed by uh, police officers. You know, can we do something about that? But instead, the attention was on the fact that they were kneeling uh, during the um, national anthem. Then you have just just recently the Minneapolis incident. You did have it started off as a peaceful protest, and if you look at any, even on Fox News, even on CNN, even on MSNBC, you look at those different channels, and you saw that it started off as a peaceful protest. Whatever happened, I don't know. I wasn't there, but then you see uh, tear gas being dispersed in the crowds, and you see rubber bullets being shot at people, and um, so it escalated. And to your point, I, maybe there were some elements that caused the police to, you know, figure that they need to disperse the crowd and shoot tear gas and rubber bullets. Um, but then it escalated and it became uh, a riot. It, it evolved from a peaceful protest to a riot. So the person that was saying, you know, um, you know violence uh, or whatever is the only way that they're going to hear us, some I have to say, again, I don't condone this. I, I don't believe violence fixes anything. However, even Martin Luther King said it when he had his speech. He said, it's not enough for me to, uh, how do you put it, to stand before you tonight to condemn riots, unless at the same time, he said it would be morally irresponsible for me to do that without at the same time condemning the contingent, the intolerable conditions that exist in our society. And these conditions are the things that cause individuals to feel that they have no other alternative than to engage in violent rebellions. So that's why I say I get what that person is saying is because it feels as if we, we as individuals have a protest or we try to get focus or attention for a specific problem, but it's not heard, it falls on deaf ears. So then you have the radicals that come along and perpetuate violence and now everyone is paying attention. <laughs> I pray, though, this is my own personal prayer, that through this, that something comes out of it, that more conversations like what you and I are having, that people are sitting down and, and talking, trying to understand each other so that we can, you know, one day, you know, get, get past the, the racial bias and point it out when we see it. If I'm at my dinner table and my brother cracks a joke that's, inappropriate about or putting down another group or religious group or whatever, then I should stand up and say, dude, that's not cool. And I think if everyone took that stance, I think we will see a lot less of what we're seeing right now. Let me throw, hang on. Sorry, I'm writing a couple things down. Um, let me throw a couple of the objections that I have heard over the years in 
Caucasian circles. Um, I'm gonna throw them at you right now. Okay. Let's just let's just do it. You know, instead of okay. So there's another problem. I have I have black friends, and I'm gonna go to Facebook because that's my that's the social media I use almost exclusively. And and I don't I'm not on there all day, but I don't I don't I don't Instagram and I don't. Um, so I have black friends talking about this, and it seems like that everybody that responds to them is also black with the occasional, you know, uh, non-black person, whatever. I have white friends who are talking about this and all the people responding to them are white. Maybe one, maybe one person that I know who uh, teaches at a, a school in, in North County and um, she's, a, she's a white teacher and she has a lot of black people responding to her. So, but for the most part, we're staying in our tribes and talking about this. Um, and, and again, sorry, I'm using tribe in that sense I used earlier that, you know, um, so here's, here's an objection that I've heard, um, is that clearly, you know, we had riots in the sixties, right? And, and that was before you and I were born. It was our parents' generation. And we can, I think it's almost universally agreed that civil rights were, were horrific and the sixties movement was really important. Um, to the to the rights of people, to the rights of at the time they would have said colored people. That was the the phrase of choice, um, and so what you might hear now is well, clearly black people are not as bad off today as they were in the '60s. So why can't we just calm down and do this peacefully? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm throwing. I'm we're gonna have a conversation, man. We gotta. We're gonna. We gotta. We gotta have a real conversation. And I'm letting you. I'm giving you the objections I've heard, and maybe objections at some point in my life I've said too. I'm not saying them now, but I. I'm, I'm not gonna get on here lie either. And I would take it that that's coming from a place, and I'm. I'm sorry, but not sorry for using this phrase, but that comes from a place of privilege. I haven't had to walk in those shoes and that's what it's meant by privilege because I haven't had to walk in those shoes that had to deal with some of the things that we see. Um, yeah, you can say uh, black people can go to college now. We can get a nice job now. We can get credit now. We can get cars. We can get a house. We can live the American dream. But that still does not take away the fact that there's still this underlining thing in our country as you put it people stand with their tribes since we're all here together we need to cross-pollinate right i don't mean let me rephrase that <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> i don't mean it that way but we all need right to, buddy <laughs> we need to have those conversations between groups uh, i've been blessed to have if, if you see uh my post and i think that's what sparked our conversation if you notice, I've been blessed to have multiple individuals from different groups to respond to my posts, to even say, hey, you know what, I feel your hurt, I feel your pain. Um, to those that say, um, that basically sounds like you're telling me to suck it up, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that feels like a slap in the face. So, I mean, if, if I were kicking you and my brother was kicking you, but then my brother stops. And I'm still kicking you. I says, 
hey, it's not as bad as it was. It's just me kicking you now. You're still being hurt. So to that person, I say, we are still being hurt. Yeah, it's, it, we could say it's a little bit better than it was before, but we're still being hurt. And pain is pain. And until we do something, we're going to continue to repeat the cycle. Because as you mentioned, that was in the 60s. And here we are. We're st that quote that I just said from Martin Luther King, that was over 50 years ago. And that's crazy because it still is relevant today. So that's what I say to that person or to yeah. that um, rebuttal or whatever that they gave you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you didn't say by name, but Colin Kaepernick kneeling at a, at a football game and the, oh my God, the outrage. I, you know, right? Like, I, I, there were people burning his jersey in effigy, and I'm like, "Good lord, this is just football." I mean, it was, and it was a peaceful protest. He took, right. He, he he talked to a marine that said, "Hey, you know what? Instead of sitting, maybe kneeling." Right. Any other circle, you know, kneeling is actually uh, a, an honor. You know what I'm saying? When you kneel to something, you you kneel to the king, you kneel to Christ. You you know that's. To me, I see it, and that's probably from my background, my perspective, yes, but to me, that was probably the most peaceful protest that I've ever seen. I'm just kneeling. I'm trying to get your focus, your attention, that there's a problem. I'm, I'm, I'm not, like, being loud or rude or anything during the national anthem. I'm just taking a knee to say that there's a problem. So, all right, let's, let's talk about Kaepernick a little bit more. So then he was also wearing... I think socks that showed that policemen were pigs. Is that right? It was something like that. I heard that. I didn't see it personally. I didn't see it personally either. Either I heard it. And I mean, here, here's so, okay, and then he wore a, a Hugo Chavez shirt or whatever. And it's like, well, he was a communist, but that's a separate conversation. But I think as human beings, and I am not, <laughs> I am not a psychologist, but it seems like when we get into a big major conversation like this, we want to boil it down to one thing that we consider right or wrong, and then we just we just focus on that one thing. So um, we might focus on, well, looting and rioting is wrong. Or we might focus on um, what the police officer did wrong, did was wrong, you know, and, and, and you know, divert, but you know, I've seen a meme, which, which of these kneelings is worse, Kaepernick kneeling or this guy, you know, kneeling on George Floyd's neck for the, you know, that's, that's a pretty powerful meme, you know, it's not a, it's not goofy at all. Um, but when we, what was I even saying? Um, Oh, we try to boil everything down to like a simple thing, right? When, when the issues are so complex and, and so they're, they're, they're about our souls, right? Uh, I mean, how do we get around that? How do we, here's a question. How do we start policing better? And I mean, actual policing by police officers. And as you mentioned, you have family that are police officers. I don't have that, but you know, we all know we've been friends with, we have, Family, relative, whatever. We all know police officers. Doesn't matter. They they come in all shapes and sizes. 
And they all have biases. They're humans. And it's a really difficult job. Um, well, and I, I think I know where you're going with this. And I will say two things. One, um, to the black community, we need to have more that are going into the field of law enforcement. Because, you know, that way you can, let's say your partner is a white male who really doesn't have all those interactions. Maybe you can, you know, kind of talk each other and, you know, bounce ideas and practices off of each other where it, it, it's a little bit better. Uh, the second thing is, the reason why I say that is because if you look at like the small towns or there's a sheriff and a couple deputies, they know everyone in that small town. So when something's bad, you know, oh, it's Chris Shannon's son again. Hey, you know, they, they have a little bit more compassion. Yeah, that person, he sold cigarettes or he had, he forged a check, but I'm going to have compassion. Hey, you're wrong. I'm going to be stern with you. I'm going to lock you up if that's what the law calls for, but I'm not going to be overly aggressive or unnecessarily, uh, you know, just violent or evil to you. I'm going to have some compassion. I'm going to make you pay for what you did, but because I know you, because I have a fam I'm familiar with you, I, that bias is now gone because I, I watched you grow up or you watched me grow up or our families have interacted in some way or another. So to, to your question where you're asking about policing the police, I think it comes to maybe the police, those that are already on the force, getting to know the people in their neighborhoods or the people in the districts that they police. Because then you, you can get a better idea of who you're dealing with. So if you do see Christopher Shannon speeding down the street, it doesn't turn into an altercation that everybody is up in arms about rioting about. Instead, it's you writing me a ticket and me saying, yeah, I know, Derek, I know you don't have any animosity against me. It's because you caught me doing something wrong. And that's the end of it, right? So to police police, I say get to know your communities, police officers, and to the black community, more of us need to go into law enforcement so that we can be a part of those communities that are patrolled. You know, that, that way, you know, it's more, uh, you know, a more familiar and common ground for the police and the community. I've seen two stories recently. I know that Denzel Washington, it looks like he had uh, intervened in the arrest of a young, a young man in Los Angeles. Not intervened, but basically stood stood to the side to say I'm watching. Um, and then I yeah. saw another story from a, I don't even know where it was, a, a, a white guy, and it wasn't anybody famous, but they've done the same thing, just just pulled over during an arrest and, and watched and, and turned the camera on. And man, are, are we there that we have to start, if we see a young black man being arrested, and it's almost always that, right? A young, a young black man. Um, I, I think George Floyd was a little older, but, um, yeah, it's a little bit older, forties, um, I believe. Yeah, and for the love, I think New York Times has a, a counterfeit twenty dollar bill, or we've heard the counterfeit check too. Mm -hmm. God, I mean, but that's not a death sentence. That's right? nothing. That's like a. That's like pay, pay the store back what you you know whatever you gave them. I mean, a counterfeit twenty. I, I I bet I've passed off a counterfeit twenty at some point. I have no. I don't know. I couldn't tell a counterfeit twenty from a real one. And that's some of the outrage, Dirk, that you see in the black community is that we see a kid shoot up a movie theater, and he's escorted out nicely. 
or the kid that shot up a bunch of kids and the police officers took him to McDonald's because he was hungry. They were showing compassion. We're not saying don't show compassion. We're saying show us compassion too. That's where you get the whole Black Lives Matter. It's not that no other life matters. It's just that we're trying to say that we, we shouldn't have to say that if all lives did matter. If all lives did matter, we wouldn't have a, a reason to say Black Lives Matter. So with that being said, when somebody's, you know, being arrested for having a counterfeit $20 bill or being arrested for selling cigarettes uh, or, you know, um, <laughs> perhaps walked into a, 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 a building that's under construction <laughs> and walked away. And, you well, know, yeah, that. Can, can we have a little compassion to say, hey, what are you doing? Or, hey, I'm going to lock you up, but I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to throw you in the ground. I'm not going to, you know, that, that's all that we're asking for. Ahmaud Arbery seemed to be just like straight, blatant racism, the same thing as around the 60s. I, I that didn't, and before that, mm-hmm. there's, and you, the, the, we're lucky that their friend taped it and then their lawyer released it. I mean, otherwise we'd still be, they might not have ever been arrested from the looks of things, right? Exactly, and that's, that's again, part of the outrage where nothing was done until, you know, the, the pressure was put on those municipalities. In fact, uh, this most recent incident with um, George Floyd, the, the cops lost their job after the video went viral and, and everything, but there was no charges until after the riots. Look at the timeline, you'll see. He wasn't charged until after the, the riots happened. So to someone on, on, on that side that feels like they're a part of that that's being hurt, to them it seems like, wow, we, is this what we have to do in order to get justice? Yeah. Let's go back to the, gosh, this is, we could, t- I could, we could literally sit here and talk about this for days, probably. I think you said six hours was yeah, going to be. I said we were going to do six hours. Yeah. Go, go get a meal. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll talk again in a, 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 down the road a little bit. Maybe next week we can talk again because who knows where we'll be by then. Um, it is pretty stark to see, I don't know, a month ago, protesters in Michigan, I guess, right, that uh, at the state capitol with their, for some reason. With firearms. Yeah, with, with, with bazookas on their backs, literally. Yelling at cops. Yeah. Spitting on cops. Spitting. Uh, one of them I, I, I saw, and I don't know if this is from the same protest, but like grabbed one of the police officer's guns and like just got swatted away, you know, and and I don't know where the, where the different, cause I wasn't there and I, I haven't, honestly, I probably should read more, but I'm, you know, we're, if we're not in the middle of it, we're, we're, we're living our lives. Right. So I don't know everything that happened and I wasn't there. So did somebody specifically in Minneapolis throw a brick at somebody's head? I don't know. I know that in Ferguson, I, I read this morning that seven police officers have been injured. I know what injured means. Um, and no arrests have been made. So where's the breaking point for the police on that, right? And if you don't want to be involved in it, so let me do your response to this. So we got in Ferguson, and this was on the news this morning. I have no idea what's happened since then. But this stuff seems to erupt, erupt like it literally erupt at night more than it does during the day, generally. So if there have been seven police officers that have been injured, and you know that, is that the place to 
be if you don't want to be involved in what is is tipping toward a violent a riot I mean, where where's the line there for somebody that does want to peacefully protest you know where where do you where would you draw those lines that i actually don't have an answer um i, I believe um it goes back to what you were saying earlier about those elements right um, I believe you should be able to protest wherever, whenever, right? Because that's the whole purpose about protest versus a riot. I believe it was symbolic because, as you mentioned earlier, it was the tipping point with the Michael Brown case. Um, maybe that's why they returned to Ferguson, since this it was a very similar uh, scenario, an unarmed black man being uh, killed by a police officer. So uh, I, I don't understand the logic, but I'm, I'm guessing that's my best guess is that it was symbolic and it's, it's uh, people in that community telling Minneapolis, hey, we stand with you. We understand your pain. We are Ferguson and we, we've gone through the same thing and we want you to know that we are here too. Um, when it escalated to a riot, I have no idea. It, it's probably those elements that you mentioned before. Yeah. And, you know, I remember in Ferguson at the time, I think it was 2014, right? Um, and I heard the same thing in Minneapolis from the mayor yesterday or whatever, that most of the people they're arresting are not from that area. Yeah. And that's right. That is the most bothersome thing is that, and that happened in Ferguson. I remember that they were saying, we're arresting people in there from Illinois, San, San Jose, Illinois, <laughs> Cuba, I don't know, you know, they were from all over the place and they were the only ones getting arrested because, because, and again, I wasn't there, but it seems like if they're the ones getting arrested, they're the ones that are really being more aggressive with what they're doing and, and trying to teeter things toward violence. And sure, you could do that when you have no investment in the, in the community around you. And that kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about police knowing the community. We all know our communities too. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to do. What do you do about that? Is there anything to be done about that? And, and that's why I don't believe, Dirk, I don't believe uh, those individuals. You may have a few bad apples in the crowd, but I don't believe those individuals that live in those communities that live in Minneapolis would purposely destroy their own property, <laughs> their own right. way of living. Yeah. So it's, it's back to what you're saying. It's those people that are from out of town. Hey, I don't have anything invested here. So yeah. I'll kick it. I'll throw a rock at it. I'll break it. I'll burn it because I'm going to go back home and be comfortable. Right. <laughs> so, right. Uh, the best thing that we can do is uh, one, another thing that you mentioned was that you, we saw people that were trying to stop individuals from, um, you know, just d destroying property or whatever. So that that's the best thing we can do. Not only like, as you put it, police, police, but police, those that are in those groups, those organized protests, and make sure that we don't have any individuals that's taken advantage of that situation to, for ill gain or just to cause commotion and more chaos. And that's where maybe these can come in handy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you film that white guy starting a fire, it's just so he can get something going, which apparently mm -hmm. has happened. Yeah. Um, okay. Let me throw in, I'm going to throw another objection at you. Let's get back to that. So, okay. Uh, I'm I'm not a racist guy. I don't think any differently of anybody of any color, race, religion, anything. I treat everybody the same. And 
the same is based on your actions. So if your actions are bad, I'm, I'm going to treat you like, like you should be treated in that case. And I'm not saying this because it's your podcast, Dirk, but I was telling my wife that I was really happy and excited to be on your podcast because I do, I was telling her that I admire you and professionally, I enjoy working with you. You're somebody that, uh, you know, that I, I really look up to um, from our conversations with uh, the different networks at, uh, at City, you know, and just you being just a regular guy and just treating everyone, just as you said, equally. I haven't seen, uh, it hasn't been a situation where I'm like, I have to question you, right? Every time I've seen you in action, it's always, you know, very pleasant. And it doesn't matter who it was that you're talking to or interacting with. You were always uh, pleasant and professional. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I, thank you. <laughs> That's yeah. what say. But what about the person? <laughs> what, but okay, so let's say it's me and I'm saying that and it's true, right? Am I doing enough? Am I, am I doing enough? Or is there something, should I stop? If, should, if I see a young black man I live in O'Fallon, Missouri. I don't, we don't, there aren't too many arrests out here in general. Um, but if I see a young black man pulled over on the side of the road and I, I don't know who he is, should I pull over too, just to say, Hey, I'm here and I'm watching. Well, um, first I won't suggest or advise anyone to put their life in harm's way. However, if you want to do more, if you feel the desire to do more, if you feel like enough is enough and you want to be a part of that change or you want to see things change, then I say do what's in your heart to, you know, help out the next person. Uh, is everyone doing enough? I'll answer that for myself. No, I'm not doing enough. And I can't tell you that you're not doing enough and I can't tell the next person. All I can do is look at myself and say, hey, what more can I do to help our society, to help our culture, to help our country become a better place for everyone? And if everyone did that, it'll be a much better place. Yeah. So you and I are, are grew up in the 80s and 90s. You're a little bit younger than me. We, we grew up in the 80s. Yeah, and absolutely. Then, yeah. Um, so we still remember Rodney King. Remember that happening in Los Angeles. Um. I, I, this may be the same question over again, but how do we, how, how, when, where, when do we get past this? You know, when, in clearly our parents and our grandparents marching in the 60s or, or sorry, your grand, I don't know what I'm saying. People, how about that? Dealing yeah. with this in the 60s, um, we're, we're dealing with, I, 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 have, uh, I have Bob Gibson's autobiography up. Actually, no, I don't. My brother-in-law borrowed it. But um, he talks about, I mean, he was the best player for the Cardinals in the 60s. He was the reason they went to the three World Series. He was the number one reason. It's a team. But, you know, um, and he talks about in the 60s, he had to drive down to spring training via a separate route along back roads, stay at off the, off of the way hotels. Cause you're driving spring training was in Florida. You're going from St. Louis to Florida. You're going through the South. Um, but I don't think it was any different in St. Louis at the time either. And when he was in Florida, he had to stay at a separate hotel 
him and Lou Brock and Kurt Flood and, you know, the black players and the Cardinals. <clears throat> and the Cardinals were actually pretty, pretty diverse at the time. And, you know, we, they had, uh, uh, what was this? Anyway, Bill White was on those teams and I can't remember the, the uh, Latin guy. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But he talked about that in his book that in the six, so, so they were fighting for that, right? Overt, you can't refuse my business because of the color of my skin. Here we are dealing with, I guess, a, a, a feelings matter. How you feel in public, whether you feel safe or not, matters. I did, and I feel like I, I changed topic, but I'm not sure I did. How do we get past those feelings? How do we get past, you know, we heard President Obama, and I don't know about you, you talked about being pulled over or followed by a police officer. He talked about being followed through a grocery store or whatever, um, and he felt it, whether it was true or not, he, he felt it, right? Maybe it's not, maybe that's not going on at all, but if you feel that, how do we get past where someone with your skin color feels that way, that, that going out in public, I got to have a little bit more of a radar up around me to make sure I don't end up in this situation because I never, ever feel that way. I don't recall ever feeling, I, I recall feeling that way if I was going through a, a when, you're, when you're in an unsure place, you know, you're in a place you don't, you're not familiar with you're on vacation or whatever, you're, you're, you get your raiders up because you, you don't know what's going on. Um, honestly, if I go through a, a, a neighborhood where there's more crime, I feel that way. But then how do we get past me thinking that's a neighborhood with, that's a black neighborhood? How do I? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's going to take time. It's going to take more conversations like this, you know, between people uh, of different ethnic groups or different religious backgrounds to try to sit down and understand and talk about each other, talk, not talk about each other, but talk to each other and learn about each other. Uh, it's also going to take, um, like I said earlier, it's going to take that, that time that you're, you're with your friends or you're at a cookout or you're somewhere and a good friend of yours or a family member or somebody does or say something that you know in your heart that's inappropriate or that's not right, but yet you, you hide. I had a conversation with another one of our coworkers and he said something like that happened and he felt ashamed because uh, he, he could have pulled that person to the side and say, dude, that's not cool. But he said he'll do better from now on. Um, and I think that's what needs to happen because as we continue to do that, then it, we will see less of that because right now we're still dealing with the remnants of what happened in our country decades ago um yeah there's there's not slavery anymore yeah the jim crow laws are you know still not there however that mindset that mentality is still there in some people and then it's being passed down to the next generation i i know someone personally whose dad had been telling them you know not to hang around that kid <laughs> you know yeah but he chose to say no this is this is a really good friend of mine and uh, I commend him for that. It took a lot of courage, and it's gonna it's it's gonna have to be a lot of people being uncomfortable. They're gonna have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, because as you put it, a lot of individuals like myself are uncomfortable all the time because we feel like I have to be on high alert. I have to be on my best behavior. Can't say anything the wrong way. I can't look at a cop the wrong way, or you know, I have to just 
be perfect, you know, or try to be perfect. <laughs> I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But like I said, it's just going to take time. And it's going to take people, the good people, especially uh, Christians. Um, we all confess to be Christians. So we should look out for all people, right? Especially if I, I'm saying that I'm a Christian. And if I see an injustice, if I hear an injustice, if I hear a, a bad joke, I mean, we, and, and I know it, I get it. We all laugh at some jokes here and there, but th those that, that we allow to slide, that's that, that one little thing that can grow eventually. Um, one of the pastors uh, uh, at one of the churches out here in Winsville, uh, he talked about two degrees and he shared the story about the space shuttle that um, they were like low on fuel and they were trying to get back to earth and if they went two degrees in one direction, off two degrees in one direction, they would float to the sun, burn, or something like that, right? And if they were two degrees wrong the other direction, they would plummet to their death on Earth. They had to get it just right. And, and that's because at that beginning point, it's just, it seems like just two degrees, but as you continue to journey and, course, and get off the course, it, it's, it's even bigger. So it starts off with those little things me allowing you to say an inappropriate joke about a, a person's nationality or or me not standing up for uh, when I see someone being treated wrong because of their disability or because of anything, you know, like that. That person then gets the feeling that, oh, it, it is cool. Our society says it's okay to act this way. And until we as a society say, no, it's not okay to act that way, we will continue to see it. Or uh, I have an example. How about describing somebody by the color of their skin when it has no pertinence to the story? Right. <laughs> you know, the black guy up the street. <laughs> yeah. Is there a reason? I mean, maybe there's a big crowd of people and you're trying to tell me which guy. It is. Okay. Or maybe it's just how you describe that guy because, you know. Yeah. And I have heard that quite a bit. That That's a common one. And... Um, I do think we we all need to watch her. So I mean, yeah, there's no reason to describe somebody as black unless it's important to the story you're telling. We're and Derek, I'm going to share something with you that I haven't shared with anyone. And that is, to be honest, I don't even like the labels because I'm not, I'm, I'm not black. If you set me next to something that's black. Yeah, you're brown. Right. I'm a, a certain hue of brown. <laughs> <laughs> right? Seriously, <laughs> check out my coffee mug. I'm not really the same color as that, and it's brown, right? <laughs> so, There's a little green like, in there. Do we have to have a label? <laughs> the same way we call people white. I mean, yeah. if I were to hold a piece of paper or white piece of paper next to you, you're a totally different color than the paper. So, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. I digress, but I, I honestly don't like the whole label thing. No, I think that that's but a really in, good. But to your yeah. point, if we can get away from that, maybe that'll be another uh, nugget in our society becoming better. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was my son, although I kind of have a vague memory of my son. But I, you hear of kids, and when when you say to some, when you say to a two year old, that person's black, they're like, "Well, I don't." They're looking at you. Taught me that that's brown, right? Right. Um, so, <laughs> and or you taught me that that's white. Well, that's that's peach, you know. <laughs> You know, um, I mean, I'm as pale as you get and, and well, my chest might be pretty white, honestly, but, but, you know, 
you don't want to put me in the sun, man. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, I know what you're saying. It's, I, I love, there's a quote, I'm going to quote from Wayne's world. Uh, so he says, and he says it in, I think in Mandarin, cause he's trying to, to pick up, was it Tia Carrera? Cause she's, she's Chinese. And he says, uh, he says in Mandarin, was it Kierkegaard or Dick Van Patten who said, if you label me, you negate me, <laughs> which is funny. By the way, Dick Van Patten was a TV star in, of the seventies and eighties. But it's true. It's like, you don't think about it, but if I can label something as black, as white, as conservative, as liberal, as progressive, as, you know, capitalist, as violent, as not, if I can label it, that goes back to that everything's got to be a hundred percent something conversation, right? We, we like simple terms. We like to say, this is this. Chris is black. Dirk is white. Well, what does that mean? We're Americans. We're yeah. both Americans. We're Americans. We're people. We both work at the same job. We work at this. Yeah. We have, ba- we, we have basically the same job managing people for a, a multinational bank. We have different job functions, but it's the same job. And we both right. volunteer for the same types of activities at work. We're both raising families. We talked about our kids before. Our kids are basically the same ages. Yours a little bit older than mine, but not much. Um, we're all doing the same thing. Exactly. I have some hope. Exactly. Yeah, I have some hope um, for my kids' generation. I don't think they see things quite the same as you know, our parents grew up in the sixties, I'm guessing yours, I don't know, but you know, so they were right in the middle of seeing all this happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and we grew up in the eighties and, and that the sixties were history to us and really interesting history. I, I love history. So that was always my favorite decade um, just to study because the music and everything going on, the war, just the whole thing, the whole decade was amazing. Our kids now are to the point where they're, they're three generations removed from that not only that, but with the internet, I don't know about your kids, mine play video games on the internet. They're playing games and talking to, because you talk to people when you play games, and they become your friends. I've said this on a different podcast. A friend of yours on the internet, they may not be the same as, as somebody you interact with on a daily basis or your closest friends, but they're kind of like that new friend. They're kind of like somebody you're, you, you, you've met and you're always on good terms are kind of like you and I, we don't, we haven't talked personally, not much before. Um, but we're friends, right? We're professional friends. So that person on the internet is your friend and they are talking to people from Russia and Germany and India and China, you know, everywhere, New York, California, Alaska, Brazil, they're all, they're all online cooperating toward the same purposes. Now they're trying to kill the other team before they kill them <laughs> that's a separate story right and, yeah i right. think that's yeah i think that's overdone i think you know but that's a separate conversation but they're they're cooperating with people without seeing them and they you you know that a guy in russia has different has a different ideas about the world and the government most likely than you have just because they've been you've been raised in a completely different culture but you're you're coordinating online. You're, you're, uh, we call it collaborating. You're collaborating with people. Mm-hmm. And these are 14, 15 year old kids doing this. So I have my, heard- my son, my 19 year old, Chris Jr. We talked about him a minute ago. Um, in fact, uh, he was just telling me on Friday night and Saturday night, he 
coordinated some time with some friends online to do something. I think they play D and D or whatever, but whatever it is that they're playing, but these are people from all around and from different walks of life. And they're, they, they look forward to being together on the game and <laughs> no matter who they are. Yep. Yeah. And uh, you know, cause I grew up in high school with, I think we probably had less than 10 people that weren't white in my high school. Um, I can't imagine what those get those boys and girls went through. I, I really can't, you know, out in St. Charles County growing up like that. And I never thought about it at the time. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if, Al, if you're watching this, I didn't think about it at the time, man. I'm sorry. Uh, but you said something that was really profound when you were talking about the kids. They don't put the labels on it, you know, when they're really, really small, let's say two, three, four, five, six years old, you know, they, they just want to play. They just want to have fun. They don't care if you're poor, if you're rich. They don't care if you're black or white. They don't care if you're Jewish or, or Christian or Muslim. They don't care if you're from China. <laughs> they just want to play. They just want to play. That's all they want to do. They want to play and have a good time with you, no matter who you are. And I think until we become like those little kids, like, you know what? Jesus said that until you become like these children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven, right? True. So until we become like those kids where we just want to be together, no matter what your perspective is or what your thoughts on life or your political view are, or your political views or religious background, we just want to be together and have a good time while we're on this earth. I think that's, that's where we need to be. Yeah. I think when we but, realize, but on the flip side of that, it's, it's, uh, racism and racial bias and all that other stuff. It's a learn. It's a, a taught. It's a learned behavior. If 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 I teach my son that you know all white people hate black people, or if I teach him all black people hate white people, then that's what he's going to grow up believing because I've embedded that in his brain. Um, I, I'll be the first to admit I have family members that at for a long time did not like anyone that was not black. But now times have changed and we've, uh, through different interactions or whatever, I've seen those people change, their whole perception change. So to your point, there is hope. I believe there is hope. Let me, let me talk about one more thing um, from my perspective and then I'll, I'll let, if you got anything else, we can talk about it. But so when I grew up, I was pretty fortunate. My, I grew up with, with zero overt racism in my house. You know, there was no zero. I, I, don't, even, I don't know anyone to put my, my dad was in the military. And I, that was one of the things that really opened our country up to um, integration. You know, Jackie Robinson happened in 47. We don't think about that. It was two years after the war. And a lot of people realizing I can, when I'm in a foxhole, right, there's, when you're in a foxhole, uh, there are, they, there are no atheists and there are no races, right? There's just nothing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but at the same time, it, like there, literally there were no racial jokes, just, just didn't happen in my house. And I never heard any, any, I didn't hear the N word, none of that stuff. But something that, that was, that was pounded into me from my, my, my whole life. And I don't know that it was a bad thing, but I, so that, okay, here's, no, okay, this will be another one I, I've heard. So this will be the, the last one I ask you to answer, and at least on this podcast, we might talk later. But my dad pounded into me, first of all, that, you know, uh, 
justice is is a good thing. The the justice system is there for you and to back you up. And here's but here's the part. If and he pounded this was a, a clear message from my father. If you get pulled over, comply or your life is in danger. That's it. That's so talk about that. Sorry, I'm, well, I'm putting you on the spot. I just, you know, that was something that, that I grew up with. And, and it's, it's even more intense when, um, and, and again, I can't speak for everyone, but I, it's my belief that in the black community, at that particular talk is even more intense. Hey, look, don't make any quick movements. <laughs> make sure they can see your hands at all times. Say, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, yeah. ma'am. No, ma'am. We want you to come home, don't argue. And that's part of the thing that makes this such an outrage when these events happen, because the video from the Chinese owner, uh, the restaurant owner, the Dragon Zone or whatever the restaurant was called before the, you know, before we saw the knee in the neck, there was a, there's a video out there of him being handcuffed and they sat him on the wall. He wasn't resisting. So, to, to that, I say it's not always when someone's not complying that they have been killed. Even in complying, they have been killed. So that's where the outrage is coming from. And another piece to that is noncompliance equals death. From my understanding, they're there to enforce the law. They're, they have taser guns. They have rubber bullets. They have... Uh, other methods to deal with those that are a little unruly. Um, and how do they know the person is not dealing with a mental condition? There's a story w where the kid was uh, mentally disabled and they killed them, right? So I, 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 to that, I say, yes, comply. But at the same time, that noncompliance isn't a death sentence. The, the, the officers are not there to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, that's fair. I, what I probably meant to say was you're, you're putting your life in danger. Maybe not that you'd say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, is there anything you have to add that I haven't thought of that? that yeah. Just that. Um, no, I, I, I think it was a wonderful dialogue. Um, I, I, I commend you uh, again. I have the utmost respect for you. And I thank you for the opportunity to speak um, because maybe we'll reach somebody out there that has a certain way that they feel about people. Uh, see somebody from another group or background walking down the street. So I cross the street or, you know, following someone around in the store because I think they might steal something, you know, maybe that'll change the way they look at things or change their perspective of, a particular group. And I know our society right now has told us that, you know, melanated people are not all black people are bad, just like not all Melan cops are bad. Melanated. Not all Is white people are. Uh, my, my, my wife showed me this quote earlier. It says, all, uh, what did it say? All blacks are not bad. All cops are not corrupt and all white people are not racist. I, I think we all need to take a step back and, and take that to heart and remember that there's a person on the other side. We're, we're mankind. Yeah, people say the human race, but 
that's why we're having this problem because everybody's racing to get to the end, right? But when we become mankind, when we're kind to each man, I think we'll have a better place and a better place for our kids to play in. Yeah, I agree, man. Thank you. Yeah, and the reason that I, I looked you up and asked you to have conversations was the same reason you, you said for me is that I have a lot of respect for who you are and how you conduct yourself. And so that's a, that's a mutual thing. So I didn't say that earlier. Well, thank you. Can you yeah. come up? Hey, babe, can you come here? No, just kidding. <laughs> She's not, I'm not going <laughs> to, we can't fool her, man. She knows what's up. <laughs> um, well, Christian, this has been a great conversation. I, there's no way we can touch on everything that we, that we feel or see or, or want to understand. And we can't fix anything with, with a conversation. But if we can uh, maybe, maybe help somebody to see something in a different way. Um, you know, I, through my life, I, there have been TED Talks I watched that changed my perspective. I, I, I watched one. Uh, I know I'm wrapping up here, but you know, I watched one on on the uh, the rate of imprisonment of young black men for simple things like pot you know just having an ounce of pot or whatever the the percentage was and that's that'll start fading here immediately because that's starting to become legal but for ever since prohibition ended they've been cracking down on the marijuana and uh for sure a greater percent you you are you're at much more risk for having an ounce of marijuana as a black young black man than you were as a young white man. That's, that's absolutely for sure. At risk and, of, of ruining your entire life by going to prison. And I'm about 40% likely to be incarcerated than you because of being a black person. And even though more? we take up 13% of the United States population, if you look at the number of blacks in jail right now, and some rightfully so, but there are some to your point where it was just, you know, a bias that caused this kid to have their life ruined when it could have just as easily been uh, as the same as someone that has money or that has the right connections. You know, you, you hear about a kid with an ounce of weed doing jail time when there's this guy who <laughs> who's dealing with Pablo. <laughs> and, and, and he has Pablo Escobar, right? We're, we don't yeah, want to yeah, say, but yeah, because he has the right lawyers and yeah. because he has the right connections and because he looks the right way, didn't do any time at all. Yeah. But that's that's probably a totally a totally another podcast. So but to your yeah. point, yes, um we see that injustice and that's part of the outrage. Yeah. Well man, but we'll thanks. get there with more conversations, I believe. I, I agree. I think talking about it is is impactful. I you know. Um, yeah, talking and listening. I, the more you listen, the more you realize that 99% of us uh, just want to raise our families, work, do a good job at work, make our paycheck, come home, make sure we can afford our house and a car and some, and some food and clothes. And that's everywhere in the world. And there's a, everywhere and everybody. Yeah. Yes. There's a very small percentage that, that want to cause mayhem. And unfortunately they, they'll come to an event like this and every single one of them will show up for this and, and uh, yeah, throw a firebomb right in the middle of it, maybe literally. So mm -hmm. man, this is a good talk. I appreciate it. We, we should definitely have part two of this in the near future as we kind of see absolutely. how things are unfolding. Maybe just next, let me know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Um, well, for those that are watching, uh, I'm, I'm going to give a quick, quick pitch here that, you know, 
we're, I'm looking to have conversations like this all the time. And I know this wasn't a specific story with, with Chris, but I really felt this was something that needed to be talked about. Um, but if you know somebody that's got a, got a story where they've been through something like we're talking about, I'd love to have a conversation with them and let, we can get more of this out there so we can start healing and coming together instead of uh, being in the situation we're in today. And uh, we can, be, we can, yeah, that's all. That's it. I, I keep fumbling over myself. It's, it's, what do you say? We just, we just got to keep pushing forward. So if you have those, just uh, hit, you can hit me up on Facebook. My name is Dirk Pointer and I'd love to meet you. Uh, just recommend to me in the comments, whatever you want. So Chris Shannon, thanks for your time. We'll be talking to you soon. Thank you, Dirk. All right, sir.